This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855 962 3322. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with Faisal Syed Al-Mutar, founder of global nonprofit Ideas Beyond Borders, on what China's growing presence in the Middle East means, not just for the U.S., but the world. Al-Mutar had his own journey to America. Twenty years ago, he witnessed U.S. tanks roll down the streets of Baghdad when he was 12. A few weeks later, Saddam's statue toppled. He survived the Iraq Civil War, the tragic murder of his older brother, and multiple kidnapping attempts before becoming a refugee in the U.S. in 2013. He's since worked to counter extremism and misinformation on a global scale for several decades. Faisal Salid Amutar, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to zoom in. There seems to be a lot of growing Chinese presence in the Middle East. We saw recently Saudi Arabia and Iran brokering this deal that was actually kind of struck by China. And so what do you make of China's growing presence? What does China care so much about the Middle East? One of the main things that I'm scared about China is the selling of surveillance technology to countries around the Middle East. Um, So we might be waking up in a near future where um, it will become very difficult to communicate ideas to, to people in the Middle East because of the fact that Chinese censorship tools are very advanced um, and uh, many autocrats in the region love them. So we might be, yeah, within this, um, this decade or coming decade, uh, we might be faced with uh, Egypt that, looks, that, that has a, a firewall and, um, and Saudi Arabia that has a, a social credit system so that's, that makes it very difficult for my organization, which is about uh, making ideas accessible about democracy and human rights to the people in the Middle East, almost impossible. Um, so that may be something that, because uh, that's something that affects really roughly 300 million people who live. Um, and uh, Iran just a couple of days ago announced that now they're using artificial intelligence to track women without a headscarf. And it is very likely that it was Chinese technology that they got that has that capacity. So this is these are the the kind of what I think for because uh, many people ask this questions like oh so what like what what would what would China do if they expand to the Middle East? Well, this is what the type of things that they're selling. Um, they're not opening up McDonald's and a Starbucks in each corner. They're selling surveillance technology. <laughs> So, so that's maybe like something that uh, really could affect media worldwide, is that having the, the ability not to be able to speak to people in the Middle East directly because of how tight the Internet can become um, within, the, within these countries. If you think that that's something that you're obvious, me, I'd be interested in. I mean, that's, that's something that I have also a lot of expertise on as someone who actually works in spreading uh, circumvention tools for people in the around the Middle East. The Middle East has always been a battlefield uh, between multiple countries around the world. During the Cold War, uh, the Soviet Union used to translate materials of communism and spread them all across the Middle East. Prior to that, uh, they are between World War I and World War II. And the fact that whenever you go walk in the streets of Jordan, streets of Beirut and other countries, you see the books of Mein Kampf in many 
libraries is is that the fact that the Middle East, because of its resources and because of its kind of influence, uh, is always generally being a battlefield, and and it is one of the forefronts right now for China to expand its influence. Um, unfortunately, China remains uh, has a very positive reputation um, across the Middle East uh, due to the fact that it doesn't have what some people consider a hostile history, uh, like countries in Europe or, um, or the United States in particular. So that's how they are kind of portraying themselves to the region, is that we are a, a peaceful pe uh, broker that tries to uh, make every, we, we're not trying to interfere in your culture. We are just here to, to make everybody get along. Um, and for many of the aristocrats, um, they, they love it. I mean, for they, the Chinese are telling them, well, we kill our journalists too, so you can, you can do whatever you want. So they're selling this kind of package in which uh, there is limited intervention. Most of it is just focused on economics, uh, while the devil is in the details um, in, in terms of selling their surveillance technology, trying to utilize a lot of the resources within the Middle East. I mean, Saudi Arabia is one of the, I believe, one of the um, biggest sellers of oil to China. And the same fact that they have a deal with both Iran and Saudi Arabia, which is something very rare uh, that America could, does not have, and, and so is other countries. So they're trying to kind of I was not only impose their influence, but really utilize it uh, to create more dominance in the region and compete with the United States. And you mentioned the devils in the details, right? And that China selling this basically surveillance technology there. So how do you see that playing out in the countries in the Middle East? It, it's already playing out in, in many different ways. Um, I mean, the first country that really signed up uh, surveillance technology with China is Egypt. Um, and over the past couple of years, we've seen very limited presence of civil society. A lot of uh, people, activists or dissidents within these countries are arrested uh, due to the fact that the government now has better tracking. They're able to um, really intercept a lot of the communications to stop any form of political opposition. Uh, so we have seen some of that already in play. Um, as of last week, uh, Iran has uh, imposed an artificial intelligence technology to track many of the protesters, mainly women protesters who are not wearing a headscarf. Uh, so that's a more recent example, and I, and I see that more and more coming. So what China already has inside China, from, from social credit system to uh, advanced tracking and what's sometimes called the Chinese firewall, uh, we can easily see it uh, being applied heavily in the Middle East. And, and for people in the Middle East, it means they will be less likely to listen or be familiar with ideas happening in the outside world, which is exactly what many of the regimes there want. And for many countries in the free societies, they will have extreme difficulty of communicating their ideas directly to the people of the region. Um, so that I can definitely see that happening with, within the next couple decades, really, in which um, most of all the channels that the U.S. government has, for example, the Voice of America or the equivalent of it, the Middle East Broadcasting Network or the BBC and other places, um, it will be harder and harder for these ideas to be able to get to the people there. And while the only ideas available are the ones that the Chinese government wants or their allies in the Middle East have. So, so that's, that's really... Um, the, I think what can really be applied, and, and, and I think that's something that's really scary and not many people are talking about. I want to zoom in on that. So who's benefiting from this censorship and this surveillance? Who's the ultimate benefiter here? The, the, the aristocrats in the region, who, who many of them, um, I mean, one of the th things that they see as threatening about the United States in, in, in both 
true and not true ways, is that the United States, in a way, just the fact of them spreading their culture, or at least even things like music and other than that, at least to people's liberation, at least people to be able to be critical of authority, at least people to, they, when you see American television, you see people making fun of their government, you see people criticizing their government. Um, many of these kind of um, bespoke messages, the things that are not really direct, um, have an effect on, on populations at large. I mean, that, that was kind of part of the inspirations was behind their spring is that people see YouTube and see, see videos around the world of how life is outside. Um, and that is something that's um, kind of reducing more and more as, 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 as many of these technologies are, are being implemented. So, so really the, the, the people who, who benefits the most are the aristocrats in the region and, and the authoritarians. And that is the kind of the, the, the version that China is selling is that on one hand you can control your people with their surveillance technology and, and you can copy what they call kind of the Chinese model, which is uh, a version of kind of advanced Authority, capitalistic authoritarianism, in which people are not, all of them are starving to death. They can still have their car and they can still buy their Louis Vuitton, and at the same time be under the control of the state and the state be able to control, uh, not necessarily the means of production, but really all, all people's movements and, and ideas. And on that note, you mentioned earlier the amount of resources in this region. So what does it mean that China seems to be having the most access to that? How does that help China? I mean, Saudi Arabia, I mean, Middle East is kind of a large place, but the Gulf states, um, they, they represent one of the largest producers of oil and natural gas. Um, so that's really kind of the biggest selling point. One of the other things that they are trying to do is diversifying their economy away from oil. And Chinese companies and, and, and uh, are offering the fact that these countries become investors in Chinese companies. So in that way, the, the, the Gulf states diversify their economy and the Chinese benefit from a, lot of the, from a lot of the wealth. I mean, many of these countries right now, because of the Russia war on Ukraine, have benefited a lot. Uh, the fact of the rising oil prices have put Saudi and many countries on a surplus. Um, which is something very different than most of the world, which is struggling because of the restrictions and the kind of return of the economy. These countries are having a lot of surplus. So in a ways that it is the best place to invest in at the moment, and, and the Chinese are seeing a great opportunity in which they can divert the funds and that surplus away from uh, the, these countries buying weapons from the West or buying technology from the West, but rather divert the money into China and the Chinese companies. That was Faisal Saeed Al-Mutar, founder of global nonprofit Ideas Beyond Borders. And after a break, we continue our coverage with him on what culture means, especially when those in power want to control it or wipe it out. That and more in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. We continue our coverage with Faisal Said Al-Mutar, founder of global nonprofit Ideas Beyond Borders, on what culture means, especially when those in power want to control it or wipe it out. And Faisal, on that note, speaking of cultures, it seems seven years ago in an interview with the Rubin Report, you brought up that humans have rights, cultures don't have rights. So you actually saw the U.S. tanks roll into Baghdad about 20 years ago. So. How do you view this cultural difference between, as you were mentioning, maybe the U.S. bringing in both good and bad versus what the Chinese regime is bringing in? 
the the difference is massive and and unfortunately the united states uh did not really have any kind of a cohesive idea of them spreading their culture i mean the 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 introduction for many iraqis um which is a country that never really had a democracy and never ha had these ideas kind of discussed in public uh, the introduction to democracy for them was coming to throw u.s tanks and u.s soldiers and that's generally not the best way to introduce a country to a democracy. It's not, it's not coming through the, the lenses of, of, of television, of communication, or, or cultural exchange. Um, so, and seeing that kind of model, not really, I mean, it has succeeded in some areas in northern Iraq, in the Kurdistan region of Iraq, but, but most of the country views the, United, view the United States in a kind of very negative light. Um, well, in, 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 the, in the China model, which is, authoritarian uh, at, at its best and, and kind of culturally closer, um, they are able to easily adjust uh, so that in a way they're not selling a foreign idea to most of the aristocrats in the region. They're, they're telling them, well, we exactly want many of the things that you want. We're not going to interfere in your, your human rights record or the way that you treat women in Iran or, 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 or do anything in, in, in Egypt. Uh, we're going to keep the status quo as it is. and." Uh, we are not really interested in interfering in that. And for many of the, the, the aristocrats, that's like the, the best deal ever, in which you can maintain the Chinese investments, you can have the Huawei and the 5G, and they can at least give the illusion that the people are having uh, a, a decent life, while this, at the same time having an absolute control of them. So, so I think that that puts um, China at a great advantage, uh, unfortunately. I mean, there was a, a kind of a Twitter poll made by a known uh, journalist called Faisal Qasim, kind of shares the first name as I do, and he was saying that between all of the three major powers, which one is your favorite? And he put like the name of the country and, and the leaders, it was Xi Jinping and Putin and, and the United States, and Xi Jinping was actually number one in terms of the popularity uh, among the, the, the general pu public, that many people view China as a less hostile country, it's not a country that tried to change the, the ways of the people. Uh, while Russia, because of this intervention in Syria, they kind of triggered some, some animosity, and, and because of the United States kind of used to be massive influence, now it's, it's, it's more in decline, which is also part of the reason why the Saudis and others are sensing, is that they saw the, with the chaotic withdrawal of Afghanistan. They saw that the U.S., uh, on one side, they pick some of the regimes, but on the other hand, they, they flip against them. So with China, you have a president for life. And they see that the deal they make with China right now is going to be the deal that they're going to stick with forever. Uh, while something that the U.S. has always been viewed at is that it's pretty a murky ally. Is that on, on one hand, they might support you, on the other hand, they might flip. So they see China as kind of a reliable, culturally close ally that can keep the status quo and able to keep, put everyone together. And on that note, we are seeing kind of this movement away from the U.S. We saw Brazil strike a deal with China to trade in their own currencies. Saudi is basically considering joining the Shanghai Cooperation Exchange. What does that mean for the U.S.? How do you see the U.S. fitting into all of this? Well, I mean, the U.S. needs to kind of um, discover what it really wants. Um, I mean, I've been in conversation with, with people from different administrations uh, over the question of the Middle East. And... Really, the, the, the idea is that the U.S. generally now is moving towards isolationism. So um, the argument right now is that if it's not really affecting us directly, why do we bother? We have already lost in Afghanistan and Iraq. 
Um, so, so how how it affects? I mean, the U.S. is that the U.S. really needs to kind of figure out its identity. In my opinion, is whether it's uh, it needs to is the is the in my opinion um, uh, kind of international U.S.-led world order is generally good for human rights and good for for the world. Um, now this idea is being questioned uh, openly by by the current administration, even the former one. So, if when the U.S. discovers that. Its identity, whether it actually has needs to have an influence on the world, needs to be able to be uh, because if if the U.S. doesn't intervene, someone else will. So the gap that is left with the U.S. withdrawal, uh, we have seen in Afghanistan, we have seen in Syria, we have seen in Iraq, is that the U.S. withdraws, someone else takes takes that role, and in many cases, it's Russia or China. So it's we're not really dealing with with kind of a blank slate or, or kind of which when the U.S. creates a vacuum, generally another superpower fills it. So it's not just that, oh, the U.S. leaves and suddenly these countries become prosperous and sovereign and they leave their own destiny. In many cases, when a superpower leaves, they, these countries find another superpower. And, and the other superpowers are, um, like China, are offering a very good deal for many of these states. And I think that that will continue to be the case unless the U.S. changes its policy. And also, in, ma in many cases, really tell many of these countries to choose an ally. Uh, because at this moment, what they are seeing, many of these countries are like, we can buy the F-16s from America, but we also want the surveillance technology from China. So they're really in a state of picking and choosing. Uh, and they're seeing that the U.S. is really not pressuring them to follow, to, to, to do pick and choose. So, so in a way, that, um, that is, I think, something that the U.S. should do, is that if you want to buy our, our, some of our weapons or even buy some of our technologies. We don't want that technology to be sold to other countries. We don't want um, you to deal with some of these authoritarian regimes as a part of the agreement. I don't think at the moment the U.S. is very serious about that. And on that note, as someone who has firsthand witnessed you know, the U.S. coming in, what's your take on if the world is moving away from a U.S.-led world order and what that would mean? What would that look like? We're seeing it right now. Um, I mean, the, the, with with Syria, uh, I mean, the United States did not, uh, well. It intervened in in some occasions. Eventually, Russia and Assad are are the de declared winners of the Syrian civil war. Um, we are seeing that the Iranian government continues uh, to to arrest activists. We're seeing that many of these authoritarians are gaining more and more strength. So um, we saw the, the Russian intervention in Ukraine. So, so in a way is that we're we're seeing already what um, a decline of, of U.S. power and U.S. interest around the world is is and is, is is already seeing it in front of our eyes. And I think it's already going to more and more is going to get worse. Is that um, I mean a Chinese-led world order uh, will be very different, and 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 we're going to start seeing it. In, in most of the countries where China has significant influence, in Africa and in Latin America and in the Middle East, in which we're going to see more of these authoritarians, we're going to be seeing decline in democracy, decline of civil society groups, um, in which really just one stable authoritarian powers that are all kind of connected to each other, and there is nobody else to challenge them. And uh, so I think we are seeing some of that already, and I think it's it's already uh, with. I mean, with Ukraine, we don't know what's going to happen. We we know that the effect in Syria. Um, we know with with Afghanistan, the Taliban is in is in power and, and they're not going away anytime soon. 
um, and with the Iran regime, they're also continuing and there is not going anytime soon. So we are already seeing the effects of the U.S. as we have power and, and, and somebody else is filling that role. And Faisal, with all the different areas covered, any final words you'd like to share? Well, I mean, as I said, I mean, for most of the American audience, I mean, I think that uh, this is really in, in a, a battle of finding the soul of America. Is that is it really would like to withdraw from the world, uh, or is it is it time right now to ad admit the mistakes, to learn from the mistakes of kind of the, the bad interventions, um, and try to also look at the examples where America has successful interventions, like in Korea, like in Germany, like in Japan. Um, so the U.S. record is mixed, and, and we should not only look at the bad record and kind of the mistakes that the U.S. has done uh, globally, but also the good things that the U.S. has done globally and learn from that and see how can we replicate it and, and not let um, the other authoritarians take control of, of, the, of the world, because otherwise we're going to be dealing with billions of people under authoritarianism, um, and they will not even... Um, sense what freedom looks like, which I think is a very precious thing and, and something that needs to be spread around the world. It does sound like freedom and democracy are at stake. Well, Faisal Al-Muntar, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That was Faisal Said Al-Muntar, founder of global nonprofit Ideas Beyond Borders. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. See you soon.